0: Are you looking to take your sports knowledge to the next level? Along with movie reviews, gaming advice, and tech news, we're well, in the right place. Welcome to The BHB Trilogy Podcast with your host, Beast Hot Sauce and Buckets.
1: Welcome to the BHB Trilogy Podcast. We're here with Coach Rocky Moore, who is a two-time CIF championship coach and a Hall of Famer. He is a disciple of legendary Waterloo High School basketball coach Larry Henson. He was born and raised in East St. Louis. And moved to Waterloo in fifth grade. He ended up playing and graduating from Northeast Missouri State University, where he earned an honorable mention in all conference and degree in health and kinesiology. Ultimately, he ended up in California in 1981, where he started coaching at Pacific Palisades, where he gra- where he coached current Golden State coach Steve Kerr. He then coached. He then coached with Stan. Morrison at USC, and eventually he became head coach of John Muir High School in Pasadena. He won CIF titles in 1993 and 1996, and he was named Los Angeles City Coach of the Year in 1993. So most re- and most recently, Coach Rock has coached at Bishop Vermont High School and is currently coaching with Pangos and Belmont Shore. So, Coach, can you fill in the, the blanks in your background?
0: Uh, sure. I mean, you touched almost every corner of my background, but I think there was a couple pieces missing. Um... Yes, I, I grew up in the streets in East St. Louis, uh-huh. and then I had opportunity to uh, learn yeah. play ball at a very young age uh, when we had recesses. We didn't have physical Good. education classes in the early days, so during the recess and after school, we played on, on the you know pickup games, yeah. you know, on the asphalt. So I had a lot of big brothers in East St. Louis. You know, I grew up in that culture. The piece is one thing is that I grew up in African American culture, so I learned how to play ball at a very, very Young age, but some of the bigger guys who were really, really good um, were my big brothers. And when I say big brothers, they're from, you know, uh, uh, Rock Junior, East St. Louis Rock Junior High. Yeah. And then uh, East St. Louis High School. Uh, they came down to our elementary school, which is Longville, and we played ball. So I, I was at a young age able to play with uh, bigger, stronger, and better players that made me better. Yeah. But they saw my work ethic and my desire to play the game. So they put the pieces together. And uh, I just had a, you know, passion for just playing. And when I had these great talent players around me, it made me better than my game. But uh, they treated me like I was one of their brothers. That's the first piece. And then um, moving from East St. Louis, Longfellow Elementary School, went to Waterloo, went from an African-American coach into a German town. and But at Waterloo Community uh high school or junior high school, or it was elementary school at that time, um, we had physical education classes. Now it's kinesiology, but PE classes. And my uh, fifth grade coach, Coach Melcher, saw me doing relays and basketball. and so I loved all those sports really. I loved playing you know, baseball, football, basketball, track and field, tennis, all the sports. But I had a love for basketball. And when we did the relays, you know, Coach saw me, I was pretty fast, pretty quick, Handle the ball, handle the rock pretty well. Mm-hmm. And they asked me to try out for the team. And I said, okay. I'd have to ask my mom to see if I could try out. I just used that as excuse. My mom didn't. She always supported me in whatever I wanted to do. Like your parents supporting you and what you want to do that's related to basketball and playing. So it's just a natural phenomenon to Coach Melcher uh, had me out. Not only made the team, but I made the starting five. And then, you know, from there, it just evolved i got to bring up a guy by the name of Coach Bobby Brown.
2: Because
0: uh-huh. Coach, Coach Bobby Brown, I had him from fifth grade to sixth grade. So whatever team I was on, like in fifth grade, I played on the sixth grade team. In the sixth grade team, I played on the seventh grade team. And uh, from Coach Miller transition to Coach Bobby Brown, I saw he, how he shot the basketball. And he wanted to shoot just like him. And he said, top of the game, stroked with high arch and made nothing but net. And he said, sure, I'll teach you. For about three weeks, I had to shag all the shots. He taught me some tists, that It just reminded me kind of like that movie Karate Kid, one and two, uh-huh. wipe on, wipe off. Yeah, I had to go wipe off the floor, go get the ball, bring it back to him. Finally, he saw the discipline and the thirst that I had and the desire to learn. I had to pay my my dues first, and then he gave me the opportunity. He taught me the rest of his history. But it was a transition going from unorganized sports, playing in the recess playground, going to organized sports and playing, uh, within the recess or in a, in a physical education class. And then get yeah. to, you know, uh, an extracurricular activity sport team like basketball at the elementary school. is great. It was a great opportunity. So, that's how my kind of career, you know, got started. And, uh, it was a sports oriented town that really supported, uh, our kids and youth sports and programs, and I remember, you know, it was a little, like a little arena, and our colors were green and white. We were called the Indians, and and I was, uh, my dreams came true, you know, from from that that point on. All right, additional pieces to my journey um, from uh, playing for Coach Bobby Brown. It was a great opportunity. Um, they had almost like comparable to a traveling team, but it depended on your height and your weight. Yeah. And I didn't get to, you know, I didn't meet the measurement because I was tall and skinny. I was too tall, so I didn't meet the height. I didn't meet the weight dimensions. But my, little, my brother, my cousins, all my best friends made the team, and they made it all the way to like the semifinals and Illinois High School Athletic Association, the, the travel ball, and they played Bucker Hill. And that, man, I saw how they played, and I knew that I could really help them, you know. So I kept on working my working on my game. So Coach Bobby Brown, um, who who is my seventh and eighth grade coach, who is a lifelong friend to this day, who actually was my role model hero back in the time, he and uh, invited me to go to one of the varsity games at Orville High School in nineteen what was it, sixty seven, sixty-eight, yes. And I got to see uh, one of my best friends, Steve Nicholson, Billy Potter, Lou Hudson, all those guys played for Coach Larry Henson, and Coach Larry Henson was a new varsity coach here. And uh, I told Coach uh, Bobby Brown when I after that game, I said I'm going to be a varsity basketball player. I go to high school someday. And uh, the fruition, one of my dreams, you know, came true, and that happened. Fast forward that, um, I had a stellar career. I averaged uh, 30 points a game. My senior year, about 23, my junior year, made uh I think I made uh first team all conference. No, yes, first team all conference, cohokia conference team my yeah. junior year, my senior year. I was MVP most valuable player in the Cohokia conference. And uh I had scored 38 points, which is the most points scored in the history of our high school program. And with that being said, that was without the three-point art, you know. Oh, you didn't have the three-point line? No. Or? I still put 38 points up on, on, on the score. And that, and that record still holds to this day. And, uh, you know, I was just really fortunate putting those pieces together. So fast forward, not really dragging the story out, but um, Coach Henson and I are still lifelong friends. I talked to him like once a week. Um, uh, just this past year in the pandemic, we were uh, both uh, – Inducted into the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association uh, Hall of Fame. Uh He was inducted as the career coach, Hall of Fame in class of 2020. And uh, I was inducted as a player from Order High School. I was ranked the number one player in the last 100 years at Order High School. And I was inducted in the same class. The induction took place last August of 2021 because of the pandemic and COVID. Uh, so we went to Illinois State University, went to a reception, and we had the induction, and it was, a, it, was a, it was a great honor being inducted to IBCA along with my high school coach. It's been the first time, I think, in the history of the Illinois basketball coaches where the, a, a coach and a player were inducted, you know, the same, the same year. But I've been, along that journey, I've been very, very blessed. I've always, you know, had a passion for the game, and I had an opportunity when I moved out here in 81, uh, for almost about twenty years, I played Venice Beach basketball, and I was inducted in class of twenty twenty twelve as uh, a member of the Hall of Fame in Venice Beach basketball. I got mm-hmm. the medal, mm-hmm. show sure, that along with a good friend of mine, Mike Moore. And there was about know, two dozen of us who were inducted that year in twenty twenty twelve, and uh, not to, I mean, I, I think I I even grew more fond in terms of playing with the high competition with a lot of foreign players playing mm-hmm. European basketball and coming back to Venice and professional players and uh, you know competing competing against them you know mm-hmm. and that's how I evolved into you know coaching because I love that competitive spirit I love being around a game and playing a game uh, another piece was um, in the Hall of Fame that was my first one in 2012. 2020 was my third one, but in between, Quinn Buckner was the number one ranked player in Illinois, state of Illinois, from Thorn Ridge High School out of Chicago. Yeah. Coach Rocky Moore out of Waterloo was ranked number 16 in the top 20, top players in the state of Illinois. and So that's where I got my recognition. So Waterloo High School honored me and it was an honor and a privilege to be inducted to the Waterloo High School sports as a basketball player. Uh And uh, I really honored my high school coach, Larry Henson, Coach Bobby Brown and his wife, Donna Brown. They were there uh, in attendance to support me uh, along with Coach Henson. And, uh, you know, it was a a, a nice honor. So those three Hall of Fames really, um, inductions really uh, are close to my heart and my best. And the bottom line is all the relationships and the journey to go on with it. The fast forward. Um, when I moved out here to Southern California, actually, uh, before I joined Stan Morrison's staff, I met Coach Tim Herrick. I wanted to be on the staff at Pepperdine University, but he introduced me to Jerry Mormon, who was a head varsity coach at Palisades High School. And at the time, this is a real quick story um, Coach Herrick sent me down to Palisades High School, uh-huh. and he said, Coach Mormon's waiting on you. He had an opening position on his staff to uh, be the BC head coach and also be a varsity assistant. So mm-hmm. I jumped on the opportunity, drove straight down the campus from Pepperdine U, went straight down that day, that afternoon. And Coach Marvin, Jerry Marvin, got rest So Great coach. His dad was a legendary coach at uh, University High School in Los Angeles. And Coach Marvin won the CIF championship in 1969. So I was around great coaches, great people, even getting into my coaching career. Mm-hmm. Um, before I finish that story, I'm gonna tell you the story when I walked into Policy Gym for the very first time. But dial it back, my best one of my best experiences playing ball, and I know I'm going to fast forward, but I'm rewinding the tape. Before I went to Northeast Missouri State, I got a scholarship brought out of high school. I wanted to Ten middle area college, which is a two year um, junior college under the NJCAA at uh middle area college, which was in um, Flat River, Missouri at the time but it's now called Park Hills, Missouri and it's about 85 minute drive from my hometown uh, Southern Missouri, Southeast Missouri and uh, in my trial, I had an opportunity um, to try out, you know get my workout in, Coach yep. Secrets came up to my home and visited my parents and my high school coach and he, uh, I was recruited by a lot of Three Rivers Community College Belleville Area College, a lot of other girls Clark, a lot of JCs in the Southern Illinois and Missouri area to continue my playing career. Uh-huh. And Coach Bobby Seacrest came to home, and you know, he won us over. Great personality, great coach, legendary coach. He's in the NJCAA Hall of Fame. And uh, when I had that opportunity to try out, I was incoming freshman. He had a returning player by the name of Sonny Parker. Sonny Parker out of South Side Chicago. Sonny Parker is a father of Jabari Parker, who was drafted oh, okay. in 2014. Uh-huh. He was supposed to, he was predicted to go number one, but he can't. He was picked number two behind Andrew Wiggins, who's now playing for Golden State Warriors. He's playing for Coach Steve Kerr. But um, when I did my tryout and working out with Coach, I mean, with uh, Sonny for Coach Park, uh, Chris, um, we were playing in the half-court level. Uh, you know, I mean, I was way on top of the key, but, I mean, I just... An errant pass, and you know, we're not talking about the square on the glass, we're talking about top of the glass backboard. Uh-huh. I threw an errant pass up to the corner right hand side. I thought it was going over the glass, and the 6'6 Sunny Parker flew out of the air like nowhere, cuffed it, dunked it, came by me, slapped me on the side of my hip, and he says, Nice pass, Salteen. He's called me Cracker since then because uh-huh. he's like that capacity to coach Seek to give me a scholarship and the rest of his history. So he went on to Texas a and I was supposed to go to Texas A&M with him on a full scholarship with Sonny because that was my that was my guy and he wanted me to go. But uh, Coach Seek said, hey, you know, you need to get your education and matriculate through here and, uh, you know, bigger and better things are going to happen next season for you. Well, it did. I ended up being the captain of the team. Sonny had a career year in the Southwest Conference at Texas A&M, and then he was drafted. Played six years in the NBA for Golden State Warriors. And then I had the opportunity to finish up my second year at Middle College, and we won a regional 16 championship team. The fun part about that series, like in, in JCAA, you played two out of three series.
2: Mm-hmm. And in
0: the first game, we beat State Fair out of uh, Sedalia, Missouri. And uh, there's a little story to that because um, Coach Seacrest had a, a game plan on defense, you know. Like uh, I think it was high school or down one, yeah. and, and he wanted to make sure I was in my defense alignment, you know, and we side rotate. But Coach Rock, if you imagine that, like you don't have a, you have a lot of hair on top, right? Yeah. Well, I had long hair. Who I had like back in the day? Yeah, Coach was it? You know, way back in the good times. You know, uh-huh. you ever heard of Woodstock? Yeah. Then you'd understand. Anyway, as I came out of the huddle, you know how I grabbed you a couple times in the headlight. Yeah. yeah. He wouldn't grab me in the headlock. He, like back in the day, he grabbed back of my hair, pulled me in, he says, and looked me in the eye. You know how, like I looked at you in your eyes? Uh He said, do you understand slipping weak side ball line? I go, yes, sir. He said, if you don't jump that ball line, you're going to walk back from Sedalia, back to Flat Creek, Missouri. I said, okay, I'd have been a long walk, but you know. I took him serious and sure enough the play um, evolved and they threw that weak side pass and the ball just literally, I mean I didn't even jump the line, it just literally landed in my hands and I went off down the other court. I really wanted to dunk it, but I wanted to make the shot so I went up there and just laid it in one by one and after all the melee coach says, hey man, you get your steak dinner for the rest of the year. Now that was great great uh memory and then I loved how he coached so those coaches kinda evolved. When I uh-huh. went to Northeast Missouri State it was it was it was a great experience, but I felt the community college at junior college, I mean he did everything for class and when I went now the best thing playing at Northeast Missouri State, I realized my junior year I was gonna be able to play I wasn't gonna play in the NBA. I, I mean my dreams were to play professional basketball. Yeah. I had an opportunity um really to continue, but it came to the realization I need to get my education. And all my coaches tell me, hey, get your degree, get your degree. So I kind of focused, I changed my focus. I, I really loved my professors, you know, yeah. that I had an opportunity to work with, and they got me on the right track in terms of my edu- educational program, my uh, education goals, and, and they all set that up for me. And so I was able to graduate on time. And, and then uh, I really missed basketball, and I wanted to stay in it, and coach with the and their staff. Got me a high school coaching job at Gore, Missouri. That's when I started my first career in Missouri. But this is crazy. <laughs> I signed the contract um, to coach it, but I was assigned all four teams, varsity girls and boys, and the junior high boys and girls. I coached four teams in high school, so, and then taught a couple classes. So that was the beginning of my, my, my career. So that's how I just kind of got started with so how'd you get into coaching? Um, coach uh, Charlie Spooner. Coach Charlie Spooner was best friends with uh, Coach Bobby Seacrest, and he was a head coach at Moberly. He was the next head coach after Cotton fitz mm-hmm. who coached at Moberly, and they had great talents, the players there. And we played at home home. And, and that relationship with Coach Seacrest and Coach Spoon, um, I, mean, I just loved being around the game. That competitive spirit I had, I said, you know, I'd love to – you know, being a former competitive player at a high level, I just knew that I was born to coach. You know, yeah. I mean, transitioned from player coaching and made a lot of sense because as a coach, you teach your players and see them, see your your players how they evolve and matriculate and develop that progression and the discipline. You know, it's just you still have that competitive spirit as a coach. It gives you an opportunity to be in a competitive climate, mm-hmm. the setting and a chance to win championships. And I was fortunate because I played for coaches and still, like, you know, like Herm Wegg quote, like, we played the game to win. And that's what we do. You play the game to win. And they had that mantra that that mindset. But what I learned early on was a growth mindset, evolving mindset. And, and so I had the opportunity to win championships. And uh, Coach Boonar reached out to me. Cross the Coast Bobby Seekers and I came out and visited my dad and, and I'll tell you I, I coached one year 77, 78 in Gordon High School but I knew that I needed to learn more but I needed more education behind me experience what have you and Coach Spooner Charlie Spooner had a vision for me he had already a vision I had no idea no plan and I moved I, I not moved out here but I came out for a visit to, my dad lived in Newport Beach California at the time uh-huh. and I came out and got a good friend, and he took me to Disneyland all the sites in Southern California. But down on 17th Street and Newport Beach, they had ball games going on, what have you. So I kind of fell in love with the, the climate, tropical climate, the sun, the beach, and ballers at the same time. So you got a mix of uh, the best lifestyle. And uh, I was intrigued by that. But then when I went back home after playing ball, went to the beach, what have you, I walked into my dad's condo's place and he said, uh, You know, Coach charlie And I said, Yeah. He says, It's not an emergency message. He said, But it's very, very urgent. You need to give him a call right away. And so he had the number, gave me the number, and sure enough, I called Coach Boone. And Coach Boone said, uh, You need to come back to Missouri, pack up all the rest of your stuff. You need to dri- drive directly down to Ruston, Louisiana. I got a grad assistant job for you to get your wow. master's. So if you're going to be in coaching, I have a game plan and you need to get a quality education. But here's the stickler. You're just an average student, but when you get down to Louisiana Tech University, Dr. Jay Akers, who's the Dean of the Kinesiology Division, is gonna meet you and greet you, and you're gonna meet him at his home, and everything's gonna be set up like a welcome package. And you're gonna work on your master's and, and get you MA in the kinesiology. So I said, sure. He says, well, you need to come the next day. Mm-hmm. So I had to short my vacation. And my dad was cool with it because he knew that I wanted to do something with basketball and well education. So I did. I packed my stuff up, got on a plane, came back to Missouri, packed up my Cutlass, uh, you know, super sport, packed it all up, drove down south on i 55, went to Ruston, Louisiana, and, and met Dr. Akers, and now I was a grad assistant. It was crazy because uh, I had an opportunity to work with Dr. Akers for a year. I got my year, a little over a year, master's program, a two-year program. But uh, we accelerated it, and it was was a great learning experience. So I got my master's, and Coach Spooner, after that, one year in my master's program, he called me, and I did an interview. And Coach Charlie Spooner hired me on the staff as assistant coach at Southeastern Community College in Burlington, Iowa. That's how my career got started. How I ended up in California, Coach Spooner, I said, hey, you know what, I want you to be an assistant coach with, his, uh, with Moaba, which is his best friend at the University of Nebraska. And man, I thought my dream came true. I'm going to be one of the youngest Division I assistant coaches in the country because Coach was Spooner. Uh-huh. But John Hammond got that position. Moaba already offered to him, but Spooner didn't know and that kind of crushed me, you know, because those guys weren't on the same page, but the opportunity, like, it was already offered, and I thought it was going to be mine. But John Hammond now is a general manager of the Orlando Magic. You know, it could have been me, but uh, it all worked out. And I decided, you know, I'm going to just hit the 40 going west. And my dad's from Southern California. I decided to hey, why not go to Southern California? My dad said, hey, there's a lot of schools out there, great opportunities, and with your credentials, you shouldn't have a problem, uh-huh. you know, getting a job. And that's how I ended up in the, you know, on the West Coast in Southern California. The so that's history. That's how I got into coaching.
1: As a player, how were you as a player? Like, what set you apart from everyone else?
0: I think it was I. I think. What se- separates me from the rest of trying to be the best? I just put the work in. I, I put the, there's one, I, I, you know, I, I you know, I, I got a, I had an opportunity with Coach Larry Henson going to Ed McCauley basketball camp. who mm-hmm. played on the St. Louis Hawks. But we had JoJo White there, you know, Bobby Lanier. Uh, we had some great. NBA player, players that were there as our guest speakers and what have you. And Ed McCauley wasn't too savvy himself back in the day for the Hawks. So I got to play against some great, great players. But I saw the work ethic. I saw the how hard they really worked, you know. Yeah. And I worked on my skills, like my ball handling, because I wanted to be a point shot yeah. guard. And, I, you know, they said, hey, get, if you want to get 200 shots in, you want to work on 300. If you want to work on 300 shots in, you get 500 shots in. And it's like I, I put that repetition in because yeah. I wanted muscle memory. And I think that's what separated me. And that, I mean, I created distance because that put me, with the elite, the best of the rest because I put put the work in. And that's what I'm going back with education. Like Bobby Brown, my middle school coach, he said, hey, think about if you put two 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 and a half hours of studies in your subject areas like you do in basketball. It's easy, basketball you love, but put it in something where you're gonna challenge yourself, mentally, emotionally, cognitively. I see how easy it is if you keep on practicing and sure enough. And so what? what I learned from coach and then what separated me, not only practice that on the floor to get better with my skills. You know how competitive Coach Rock is. I wanna be competitive in a classroom. So Dr. Aker said, hey, you got a scholarship, but you gotta maintain a 3.0 GPA. I, I, you know, getting a scholarship from out of high school, I came from nothing. I didn't have anything. You know, I mean, I came from not having very much. And these opportunities are in front of me because of all these coaches, and I didn't want to let them down. And then, uh, you know, I embraced the opportunity. I embraced the opportunity at a high level. And so I, Dr. Akers gave me an opportunity to make money because I was teaching kinesiology courses and weight training. We won like like, uh, Dr. J. Akers, uh, Dr. Billy Jack Talton was head strength training coach. He won 13 straight national championships. If you Google Louisiana Tech University. I was his mentor. I was his prodigy in strength oh. training. So that really prepared me like mental, like the mental toughness I talk about all the time. And then emotional strength, I learned from him. Well, I got the teach like almost a 40% load. Well, I spend Sunday through Thursday night two, two and a half, three hours in the library. That discipline. Help me. So I maintained 3.33. That's on my transcript. And then the rest is history. Now, I felt that, could I have done better? Yeah. You can always do better. But it's your work ethic. It's your desire. And there's got to be a uniqueness about yourself to really separate yourself from everybody else. Because I, 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 I love to compete. But along with competing, I love winning more than anything else. There's, stuff that there's something about that feeling and winning, and you know, it just speaks volumes because it's like with my teammates and everybody else, I'm more happy for them uh-huh. than I am for myself, and it's that's an unbelievable you know experience. So that's what separated me in terms of my drive, just not as an athlete or student athlete, but playing basketball also. As a, as a student and, and learning life skills and really accelerating. And I wish my regret, my regret really is like not doing it earlier, you know, and then fast forward, getting back to the next story I talked about in terms of coaching, my first opportunity coaching in Southern California, going to Pacific Valley State high school. I walked in the gym, coach Marvin was anticipating me coming in. He goes, Oh, you coach Rocky. Oh, yeah. Coach Erickson. Yes. Said, yes, sir grew him very articulate, UCLA grad, worked Woodens camp, was a wooden disciple. So you know what kind of basketball mind that guy had? Coach Jerry Mormon won a CF championship in 1969. And he welcomed me, embraced me, and I felt really comfortable. He had too many keys, and he pointed over the corner and said, see that 6'3", why well, I mean kid? So said, yeah, whenever he wants in the gym, let him in the gym. Hot sauce, let him in the gym, let him get his practice up. Coach, if you mess up, I'm going to have to fire you. You know who that kid was? Who? Steve Kerr. He was a junior. And that first year I was there at Palisades in 1981, 82, a month into it, I got a teaching job. The principal was real close friends with Jerry Mormon. I had a teaching opportunity the first time.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And then uh, I got to teach a uh, math position, coach basketball. So everything kind of fell into place. I promise you this, I didn't, I did everything to the best of my ability with the job and assignment I was given. And I'd learned a long time ago from Charlie Sands who was head co-owner and director of the uh, Snow Valley basketball camp. No matter what level, what program you're in, you make it big time. And by making it big time, you put a heart of champion in, in, in all your players and teach them how to compete. So I did. I did. I didn't drop the ball. Had a great first year. We had six Division I players in that team. Steve, Steve Kerr being a junior.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Gonzaga was the only offer that he had. And then, like, in the summer league, uh, Lou Olson came in the picture and saw, you know, Steve Kerr. Yeah. Worked with him on his shot a lot. He had I – I can't think of his name. He, he's with the San Antonio Spurs. The name might come to mind, but I worked for Steve a lot with his game. Ball handling, shooting, what have you. Um, and give you a correlation story, when he first got the job with the Golden State Warriors, yeah. and I got the red carpet treatment because he, I was an I honorable guest to come and watch practice and I saw one of their games. He said, uh, first thing he said, Coach Rock, you know you can't outshoot me now. I said, Nah I can And we start busting up, but it was a lot of fun going back and forth. But uh, yeah. I mean, he's got, what, five NBA championship rings, so – the rest is kind of history, and uh, that's where I got to this point. So
1: what's your biggest regret as a player?
0: I think my biggest regret is not fulfilling my dreams, playing as a professional athlete.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, from, I met Coach Stan Morrison at Glantstone's uh, fishery restaurant um, on Pacific Coast Highway, and on a handshake. He hired me as one of the assistants. Um, I had an offer that I play in South America on a professional contract. Coach Stan Morrison was familiar with a lot of overseas coaches and programs and what have you, and he set that all up for me. Yeah. And I was already getting settled in Southern California in 81-82. I had a great run with Coach Marvin, and he blessed me. I mean, he really wanted me to stay on staff, but if I could go coach at USC with Coach Morrison, and we had – Kevin Stewart and Carl Washington, two players that coach recruited. So I went with them mm-hmm. and had that opportunity. I'm going, man, if this coach is willing to help me get a contract to play overseas, how much would I learn out of him as his prodigy coaching basketball? I think I made the right decision at the time. Here's the only regret I had. Uh, Manny, the only regret I had, and there's one or two of them, one, when I was with him on his staff at USC for two years, from two 84 Yeah. and we've talked about it since then, I had a chance to get my PhD from USC. And I didn't jump on that opportunity. And I know he's already said he, he'd, he'd have paid my way, he'd have picked up my tab. I'd have had a full scholarship. I could have had a PhD if I had a vision, you know, but I was yeah. young, so my mid 20s. My second regret not playing professional. You know, because I always, but what was great when I was playing against D1 play, players in the USC and a roster and what have you, I earned respect right away because I knew that I could play. And with that instant gratification and admiration respect, that's easy chewing. But here's the thing, with all my graduate work, I just got out of graduate school in 79, so I got the job in 81, right? Or 82, couple, two, three years later. I lived in the uh, Doheny Library. That's a proctor. That's where you Come live? On. Yeah, monitored. I lived literally like Sunday through Thursday, three hours a night. I worked with all the players. I was responsible for them, making sure they're on time. They did their studies. Back then, we didn't have technology. Yeah. You could ask your grandparents about car catalog or papa here it's car catalog. Car catalog. Car catalog. <laughs> Flip through the cards if I, you know your resources and your materials. Uh-huh. So it was a learning, learning experience. Coach loved the kind of job I did with him, and I found out I was going to get promoted. But I want to get into that story. But those are two finest, I think, two top regrets that I think would have shaped. You know what? There was one more, and it was a silent, a silent keeper. Uh-huh. And really nobody knows this now until your program here. I'll reveal it. In 1984, I was uh, at the uh, Final Four up in Seattle, Washington. Coach Secrets, Bobby Seekers, and Coach Charlie Spooner, tracked me down, found me, and says, oh, no, if you, got a Coach Seek wants you to come back home and be an assistant coach for one year and take over the head coaching job at Mineral Area College. I didn't like the cold. I didn't like snow, and I Really loved being with my dad in Southern California because I didn't see him for a while. That yeah. reconnection. That father-son bond is kind of special. And I made a promise that I would come on visiting with it. But I didn't know that Southern California was going to grow on me like it did. Mm-hmm. But career-wise, I think if you just Google Corey Tate, Coach Corey Tate, had one of the most successful runs at Midnight College. And now he's assistant coach with St. Louis University, Billykins, Great story about him. What's the guard's name? Uh, plays for Washington. Not double, is that was, Washington Wizards. Jeremy Beal. Because he played with the traveling team. Saying, well, huh. That was one of uh, Coach Corey Tate's kids. How about the, the Boston Celtic kid? What's his name? The big kid. He's from St. Louis. Who's one of the most popular players in the Boston Celtics? Who? Wait, right now? Right now. Jason Tatum. There's two. Jeremy Bill, Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum played on that traveling team in St. Louis too. That was one of Coach Corey Tate's kids too, out of St. Louis. Big time players. So anyway, he had a good run and now I was assisting with the Billy Kinson. You know, I mean, you know it's kind of maybe a regret, career wise you know? Yeah. But God's got a plan, man. I'm supposed to be in 21, 22 coaching Bishop of Not at you know, a four-year shoot. So, you know, any regrets you you make choices, you know, but I have.
1: Well, I have how, do you think, how do you think you would have done overseas?
0: Oh, I would have been highly successful. I know, you would have played, play. played in South America? I would have played in South America. Guadalajara, Not in South America, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: team? Um, you know what? At that time, that was back in 1982, 83, 84. I was offered that contract. And the, the people who you own know, the team, they reached out to me and offered me crazy opportunity, everything, to go down there and play. And when I mean everything, like everything was, you know, taken care.
2: Yeah.
0: And, yeah. Uh, but you know what? I just I just felt the fit was good. And I want to get my coaching career started. And that's, you know, that that's the decision I made at the same time. And I had no regrets about that because I got to work two years with Coach Dan Morrison, and I – that kind of laid the foundation while I was out here in Southern California and me making it on my own. Like started, started my uh, coaching career in Southern California. I mean, it jumped around a little bit, you know, but it got started. Yeah.
1: So what's your, what was your biggest fear as a player? Like, did you have any?
0: No, I I mean, I I think I was pretty much fearless. Yeah, I mean, my co- they had a big article, me in Middle College, like, the colorful Rocky Moore player, man. I mean, you know how to teach, like, going after loose balls, taking charges, yeah. you know, and Coach Seek loved the energy, enthusiasm, and the positivity I brought. But I did everything in all the other areas, so I was, kinda, I was fearless. You know what I mean? I wasn't afraid to take a charge. I wasn't afraid to get on the floor after loose ball. I wasn't afraid to, you know, and... Like, there's one play this year with our mock program that stood out, that reminded me of my style of play. Um, actually, there's two. One, I rolled with the first one when Finn. Fin, fin uh, went on the floor. At the, after he missed a gimme, um. the ball was discombobulated, fell on the floor, what have you, but he go face first, he grabbed the position, right? And we're still upset, him, but he got a possession. But he had like, we had one possession lead, we had a two point lead still, right? Yeah. I think the next possession you were able to hit the three. But he got a possession. Because he got on the fourth this ball. That's the epitome of effort, sacrificing your body for the sake of the team success. So he's playing for all his team, teammates on offense in who's in front of him. you play on defense, you're playing for everybody behind you. So he did that in front. He got that ball and it. Remember during a timeout? Yeah. So I'm looking at ah, man, that's a little bit of me. And Finn fit in that one extra possession. What happened? The guy went under, what have you, we had possession. He stepped to the three and you separated. Now it's like a 2 possession, you, you knocked down the three. you Remember that? Yeah. I remember the ball was this okay. We needed a rebound against that Christian school out of... Uh, Orange County? the Ball was ricocheting, you got the ball right in the middle of the paint, right? Uh huh. And they hit you so hard, you should have fell down to the ground, but it knocked you moment into the possession of the ball. You came down with it, and then they had to foul. But that was a possession on the rebound. They didn't say because, in, in a close game, you don't get beat on the first shot, you get beat on the offensive rebound in the second and third opportunity when they catch it and put the put back, or you get beat if they get deep like Tatum against the Brooklyn that He got beat on a play where he's oh, able yeah. to drop step to score. Mm-hmm. He can't get that up. He can't stop it. Remember, remember the plays I'm talking about? Yeah. That's, but I don't know, I think fear before the game, I had a ritual, man. I had, I don't know what put it out there. I had to go to the bathroom. had butterflies. I had these knots in my stomach because I knew I really cared. And I guess the fear—I didn't want to let my teammates down. I didn't want to let my coach down. And I and I played it as hard as I possibly could. I mean, to the point where they thought I was a, a, a crazy player, or a crazy coach. Yeah. You know, it 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 transfers over. You know. So I mean, that's th- that fear. Before, but when the ball goes up and you start playing. Butterflies go away, now you're in competitive mode. So I didn't back down from anybody. And that was taught and ingrained in me at a very young age. And in life, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm honored and privileged and also blessed, you know, to be here because I had like three strikes to give me, you know, when I first moved out here. Obviously, little pieces, putting pieces together. I was in a near fatal automobile accident mm-hmm. where the car was cut in two. Is hit by a drunk driver. I should have been a statistic, but it clipped the front end, not broadside me. Obviously, if it broadside me, you and I would be having this podcast, you know, it'd be a session going on right now. But I was blessed. And, but I had to put my pieces together and move forward. You know, my jaw was wire That's why Chris Bourne's got that scar here, that uh-huh. a pin here, ripped knees. So I was able to bounce back and be resilient. But I was young then stronger. So I was able to, it helped me with a lot of, uh, a lot of growth. You know what I mean? And I wouldn't wish that for anybody, but I ended up on, uh, still up on the top side. And then, uh, I had a couple, I had another one and, and it was a close call in terms of automobile accident, but I survived it. And then last one was, uh, I had a chance, uh, it was a health condition, but I was able to bounce back, you know. Yeah. So those are what I call blessings. And I, I'm a firm believer in that. Those are blessings. So um, that's why I'm paying it forward. That's why I'm still coaching.
1: All right, Coach. So can you tell us about your CIF championship teams at your
0: Sure can. The very first CIF championship we won was in 1993. And I had a great point guard
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Jacques Bond. Uh,
1: Can you tell us about him? Like, what what set him apart from everyone
0: else? I mean, I think his uh, sheer determination, his commitment, his dedication is, you know, I mean, he was so far mature. His emotional maturity. I mean, he was far head and shoulders above everybody else. And I got to attribute that to uh, Jock's older brothers and also his mom, Lenny Vaughn, who, uh, you know, had high expectations for him to achieve at a high level, a strong Christian kid, just believed in himself, had a lot of self-confidence and invisibility. He worked hard, mm-hmm. he's was the hardest worker in practice, but his, his play, his performance in practice in the games, he practiced the way he played, he played the way he practiced and he led by example, and you know, all the way through high school academically, he only earned one beat, and that was questionable, he would have had straight A's all the way through. With all of his academic achievements, he was National Player of the Year in 1993 and received the dollar award. I think uh, that had a lot to do with his, his home, his upbringing, and his parents and family. And bond was made sure that, you know, uh, before he even studied, uh, started in his studies, you know, he's on one knee, he loved studying from, you know, his bedside. So yeah. one he watched, but he, he had, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes. I will study. He had to read scripture. He had to read God's word, and so that foundation was there. And he had faith. He trusted the process, and he believed. He had a lot of faith, and you know, and when you do good things, good things come back to you tenfold. And uh, you know, I had a great relationship with his mom, and his brothers, and, and him. And I had him for three years. as a sophomore and a but on that team, as a sophomore, I inherited nine division one players. So by the time he matriculated, I had another player, Michael Quinn, who was an integral part of our Seattle championship team in 93. Jock was a point guard, he was a quarterback. Michael was the wing player, played above the rim. And then I had a sophomore, um, and there was Dwayne Curtis. And his first team All-CIF as a senior in 95. Uh-huh. All those kids I mentioned got full scholarships. But uh, they set the tone in our program. And uh, I can assure you, because of peer pressure, because of job, nobody was gonna take any time off in practice. And you know how hard I push in practice. Yeah. You're talking about seventeens? What well, how many of you guys do? Less than a handful this year? I think we did like two? Damn. Yeah. Well, we we you know, you, you said we did like two, maybe yeah, three? Like two. Seventeens? Right. Yeah. Well you could put two zeros behind those. Throughout the whole course of the year we did 200, 300. So you can imagine whose conditioning was better mentally, emotionally, spiritually, holistically in terms of competing. Uh-huh. We could play three, two, three games in a row and not get tired. Your kids, you're going through the most rapid growth period in your life. You bounce back. You're not playing the NBA, you're not playing G league, you're not playing major C- you're in high school. 32 minutes. Come on. So they they embraced the challenge. And down on top of the 17s, I took them down to Roseville Hill. We went to Roseville Hill. They know what it's about. It's all about steep incline, spreading up the hill, talking back down, getting our physical conditioning on. So that was a special team. And with those kids, they led us away. And then, uh, you know, we... It was a great game um, in 93 because uh, we had Demetrius Sky, Union Guard. We were up at uh, Camarillo High School and they had a kid named Jeff Harper who went to Stanford uh-huh. back then. First team all Seattle, All American. He's at the free throw line and uh, he, was at, he was about to ready to shoot a one on one, front end one on one. They were up one already. He could have separated and put him up two, but he, he missed the front end of that one on one. And we brought it down to the court, and man, I called it, I called the timeout. And uh, we had about six seconds left on the clock, inbounded. And I asked one of the, the team, I mean, I asked the team leader you know, who wants to take the shot, game winner. Dimitri College said, you know, Coach, I'm going to take it. That game right there set the foundation, right? Uh-huh. 92 to catapult us to the Seattle Championship. Because we won a road game. That was almost unbelievable. And we did the execution off it. and Jack did the reverse dribble and ran it to a tee, hit Demetrius in the corner. I was hoping the the officials wouldn't call him stepping out on the baseline, but he got set. He had an awareness, caught it. Three, two, one, the horn sounded. It wasn't even in the rim yet. Hit nothing but net, and we won by two. But they put two more seconds on the clock, gave him another chance. So we got out of town, we got escorted. That led us to the CIF championship in 93. In and we played the Artesian. They had a Bondre Jones, 6'11", kid, and uh, Charles O'Bannon Jr. that O'Bannon's younger brother. They had those two players. and I had an advantage because, of course, Papa Pete Newell gave me my defensive game plan for the 93 team. Uh-huh. And we played it to a tee. And how he suggested to me to take Jack Fonda as a point guard, Right? Put him on the weakest offensive player. Put put him down in the paint and play him like a safety and back, you know, in football. Like a safety. A okay. safety back. And put him down in the paint and play ball line. He said put more pressure on their guards. So they have a longer distance from you know, when they're coming from the top of the key to left wing or right wing, pushing them out extended. And if it was an entry pass from the wing to the elbow or down to the block, it's a longer pass. So I ended up with a triple double and had about eleven, maybe twelve steals still holds a record with most assists and a career and also single-season assists in the CIF. So we stay with the game plan and Jock Vaughn with his teammates, execute it. And then we also had Michael Quinn his senior year, 6'6". Um, can could play above the rim. And like I said, Dwayne Curtis could really stick it. And then I had some great kids. Jay, Jamal Johnson went to Santa Barbara. Uh, Wire Boswell, who designs big men's clothes for the NBA and NFL. He was part of that team. But they were just a tight-knit group of guys who really battled for each other. So not only that, winning the staff championship, because I had great players like that, uh-huh. and because I want to acknowledge this, even with Jock Vaughn, um, I've earned the Los Angeles Times coach of the year in 1993. And the thing is, I, I was, like, so humble. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. I, I just went to the presentation on my own because... I just felt like, yeah, I was a coach of the year because I had an All-American, McDonald's All-American. Yeah. Jack Bond, the only McDonald's All-American. I could have had a couple more, but then did listened to me, perform academically. But he was a co-MVP of the McDonald's All-American game with Jerry Stockhouse. We played in North Carolina, and the rest is history. But, you know, I, I was blessed to have some great talent. Moved forward from the 93 championship team. Um, it was our first one. Yeah. Dollar Jack sophomore year, we lost by one point to Tustin, who won the state championship. And what it should have could have, we had a six point lead. You know, like our lead this year with my playing against Dana Hill, we had a six point lead against Tustin. Yeah. And we lost by one. That was my state championship team, my very first team. Because I had nine Division One players on that team, and I didn't make adjustment because of my, my ego. Because all we really wanted to push is to get out of press, make the adjustment, pull us back. I could have saved our legs a little bit better. Darren Green who went to San Jose State. Eric Scott went to Sac State. Coach, wow, we'd have done anything, everything for you. And they did. They busted their rumps for me. And, but all I had to do was make an adjustment. I didn't have a coach on the staff to help me like that, but I did with Coach, Bob, coach Robert Eichert.
2: Uh-huh.
0: After that 93 championship game, he came out of the stands. And uh, he said, congratulations, Coach Rock, but I really want to get into coaching. And he gave me a list, he gave me this paperwork. He said, this is my contact, this is my plans, this is my goal, this is what i like to do. Will you hire me on your staff? It was 1993. And I said, uh, guess who was on my staff next year? Okay. Coach i was. Coach Heikert said, Coach Rock, I'll do everything else. How, how do you think we can win a CF championship ring? I said, Follow this ABC formula. Always be committed. Be prepared. Compete. The ABCs. Not really hard, is it? Real simple. Always be prepared. Right? Be committed. Mm-hmm. Commit. And you know what? One of the best assistance coaches I've ever had. John Merrach. Loyal. Dedicated. Fast forward, how we earned a '96 CF championship. Jacques Vaughn was a kingpin, but he had some go-to players that, you know, that could get it done. And then and then, fast forward to the 96 CF championship team, had a kid by the name of Quincy Stinson. Um, he did everything I asked of him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it was a, a challenging journey for him, but he embraced the challenges. He was only 5'11", but he played like he was 6'11". He had a, he played, like, with a heart of gold, very competitive. He had KJ, he was five, four, my starting point guard, Anthony Maskev. Had a good nucleus, Darius Brown. Steve Collier, Chris Guy. had a good nucleus. Players that played their role but complemented big-time players. And Quincy turned into being a scorer. He knew how to get buckets. So, Quincy had – his line was 33 points. I don't know if it was nine rebounds, eight assists, or eight rebounds, nine assists. Uh-huh. But even nine, he was responsible for – Due to math, 51 of our 75 points. That's an amazing statistic. And uh, let me dial it back. We play, uh, I think Sierra, I can't, he could tell you, this team out of Orange County, and we're playing them at Pasadena High School. And we run a play, right? We ran a play on a missed free throw situation. And uh, we're, I think we're, it's tight score, we're down one. Well, we ran the free throw line fast break, right? Mm-hmm. So the kid missed again. The front end one on one was missed. Rebound. We get the rebound. Ricky made got it on the left hand side. Threw it to Massingale on the outlet to the right. Right cross court from Anthony Massingale to Quincy, and was just strong hand, fortunately. And the timeout before that free throw situation on the free throw break, I said all my guards. I said whoever gets the ball on the outside lane, you're going downhill, and I want you to run over the defender. And make the official, make the call. And, and those guys, you know, they're so smart. I mean, I go back to the 93 team and ask Jock Vaughn, I said, will you bust your butt for Coach Rock run, run through the brick wall? Hey, heck no, Coach. What do you mean, Jack? What What do you mean? He goes, Coach, I'll bust my butt through the brick wall for you, but you know what? I'll find a way to get a pick or something and pick that brick apart. You create a hole and I'll get through it for you. I'm going, man. I mean, I'm a young coach, but these guys understood on a uh-huh. whole deeper level because they lived, breathed basketball, and competed at a high level. Like Jack was on a slam jam team playing with Izzy Washington teams. Man, it's crazy. And then uh, we had fast forward to uh, the '96 team, man. That was Quincy. He led by example. Quiet player, but led by example. He take players aside and give them the Coach Rock speech. Mm-hmm. You know, he, you know, you're in it to win it, or you're not going to be a part of it. And uh, like I said, he played at the pond, and, and and so that semifinal game, they ran that play to a tee, and Quincy had the ball downhill, and he beat everybody down, and he ran. He's going for a shot. The guy, you know, I mean, it was a bang bang play. Yeah. The defender got there late. So the fisher called it, time expired. (laughs) He went to the free throw line. He, I mean, packed house, crowd, noise. He did everything he could with his chicken legs to get his shot up over the rim and it just rimmed right over the rim. You don't like used every part of the rim and it went in. So it tied the game up by one. Next one, he got his routine going on. He looked over at me. He winked at me like, this is money. Snapped his hip little lip, snapped the wrist, enough nothing but net. Next thing I knew, pandemonium. he the bottom of the pile. And everyone went. Melee went crazy. It was chaos. And we advanced on to our second CF championship for four years. And then he put on that kind of performance. You yeah, know, we uh, got beat by the Walton brothers, Luke Walton, Michael Walton. Mm-hmm. Bill Walton was in the house at the University of Hyde in San Diego. We made it to the uh, semifinals. And if we'd have won that game, we'd have went on to play in state. So that's how close it was. But Quincy was the guy, '96, along with Ant, Steve, Adam Collins, Chris Scott, Darius Brown, KJ, Kevin Johnson. And Quincy was a, the, the silent leader, mm-hmm. where Jock was more the vocal leader. And 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 Quincy even had an opportunity to play professional basketball. yeah but at the time, and we've talked about it like this year, I said, you should have took that opportunity. Because if you're good as you are, and you go and compete, you accelerate, um, you never know what's behind doing number one, doing number two, doing number three. You always, opportunity is, it's even going to be better than you would think, or even believe. When you, you know, when when you make the right choices and do the right things. So that's what happened. That's how we won those championships, and you know, I, I get a lot of credit for it, but you know, I had uh, great kids that were totally committed and did everything I asked of them. And yeah, you know, I'm serious. The, those teams were like they were like a rock and roll band. I mean, they had more fans and followers, and you know, there was hundreds of people wanting to get in those games. And uh-huh. and, and, the, and the game's were a little bit different back back in that, those days, and it is compared to today. But so how was how was the game change since you were at where Oh, the game, the game has changed drastically. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with Coach Popovich. Is it really basketball? If you – you know, Sauce, if you watch an NBA game – It's like it, one-on-one is, like – Is it one-on-one? But what are they shooting? Like threes. Okay. You take a three, I'll take a three. You take a three, I'll take a three. Okay, the NBA game? Yeah it be a game i mean if you think about it it's all levels high school to every level that you can think of to uh-huh. major college i mean the three ball the three point shot the three point art changed the game tremendously it's a different game it's a different ball game i think you know coach Kerr not i'm biased but they run an offense you know that's set passing and movement spacing ball movement player movement Mm-hmm. and uh, they set a lot of uh, action screens, on-ball, down-screen, diagonal screens, back-screen, cross, kit. And so the Boston Celtics. I mean, they they really do a good job, and so does Phoenix Suns. But they're all, I mean, you know, look at Booker. Yeah. What's his first shot? If he's coming down on a fast break, is he taking him to the rack or is he going to pull up? Pull up. What about Manny Hot Sauce? Is he going to? Take it to the rack because you're going to pull up. Pull up? A three or take it to the rack? Well, it depends who's in front of him. I don't care. What do you prefer? Well, if there's no one in front of me, I'll go take it to the rack. Very seldom. Yeah. Right? Because you're learning how to take it to the rack. Uh-huh. I didn't say you didn't know how. You're learning how. Because why? You're conditioned to do what? Shoot the pull up. The three ball, right? Yeah. So it's like... It's not even a chess game. It's like, who can make the most street ball? It's like, okay, let's play a basketball game and who's going to make the most threes? I mean, do you see the game different? If you see it differently than I do, then share it with me. The three ball and the three point shot has changed the game and evolved it. Then, then you got players who can really shoot and really worked out their craft and are artistic and they're dialed in that can really knock the three ball down, like Steph Curry.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: LeBron James not even in the close to the league of Steph Curry. Who else can shoot the three ball in the NBA? Uh, like Steph Curry? Or, who can shoot Besides Steph Curry. I know Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, all those you know, great players in the past. But I'm talking about Curry. Curry. Harden? Oh, Hard gets you to three, right? But here's the question: Mark on Harden, his shot selection. If he had better shot selection, he'd probably be up. He'd probably be closer. But who's got the most threes in the NBA? Who's got the record? That's right. Okay, but look at his shot selection. I mean, his shot selection. Look where he gets it up. He moves without the ball. Harden needs to hit the three with the ball. That's a big difference. You understand? Yeah. And my question to you before we went, like, and had this break, what is the one missing link or one missing art of the game of basketball? Missing art? Yeah. The mid-range shot, remember? You had a mid-range shot on the wing, and you had kept our momentum going, and you had saved your coach. Remember they called you stepping out of bounds? You went to the elbow, stopped pop, oh, and, and you drained it? And you drained it? It's called mid-range shot. Mid range Manny, now there's long range AT&T, 120 to 130, three balls in one season because there's a set and shoot. But he probably would have had about 160, 30 more if our offense was complimented for you to get to it instead of set to it. You understand the difference of set and get? Yeah. So. Who's the, the
2: most skilled player in the NBA? What's that? Who's the most skilled player in the
0: NBA? Who's the most skilled player in the NBA? Kyrie. Kyrie. You we want to have Kyrie or Steph. Oh, Steph. He's already. I mean, Kyrie's one one, and he won one because Andre Iguodala didn't dunk the basketball. If I'm Andre six seven and do my homework to study, I know LeBron he's got that recovery speed, and he likes to block shots from behind. <laughs> I'm dunking the ball at six seven, and I'm winning my fourth NBA title, and not giving up to Cleveland.
2: But we can, there could be the argument that Steph Curry had Kevin Durant and Craig Thompson on his team.
0: It doesn't matter how you materialize the team, but that's the current era. That's when LeBron James decided he wanted to go to South Beach. He changed the culture.
2: But what I'm trying to say is, uh, are you trying to say that you would have Steph Curry because he's won three and Kyrie's won
0: one? Mm-hmm.
2: But the roster were very different. But we're had-
0: not talking about the roster. We're talking about who won what with what they had.
2: Can you it was play, a seven. Can you play Steph Curry straight up if you have Kevin Durant on your
0: team? Didn't they win one without Kevin Durant? They won one. Okay. So but still, they had it. But still, he still got three. Doesn't matter how you put the ingredients in it, he still got three. Because uh, Kyrie still had LeBron James, and he had still wholesome players. Right? Who did he have on that team?
2: So, uh, Steph had, he won one. Steph had Clay. he got one. Mm-hmm. Then Steph got KD, he got two more. Sure. You had KD's little Bron Kyrie team.
0: That win. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. But that's, that's, that's the nature, of that's the landscape of the game, NBA game. So you said would have, could have, and all that stuff. You know, if I had, if I had Deacon Tolliver with... Oh, but,
2: see, the question I asked was,
0: who would you rather have on your team? Steph Curry. Why?
2: Because
0: you want to, that's what you said. No, no, no that. Because his his, his basketball IQ. See, Kyrie lets outside noise distraction interfere with his game. Kyrie doesn't have that. I mean, Steph Curry doesn't have that. Does he? He
2: doesn't, but Kyrie also is more outspoken.
0: Okay, well, it's true. So... I'm building the team around Steph. I mean, and I, I think Kyrie's the best skilled skilled player, bar none with everybody. But here's the thing. I mean, he's, he's got his challenges, like when he was Boston. He didn't like what was going on with him and LeBron James in the relationship with Cleveland. So if he's not happy, let's just pack up and go. It's a player's league. Players sell tickets. The reason why those arenas are packed, they don't come to see the Ghost. A player, it's, it's a player, it's a performance. It's an entertainment game. The game's out of hand. The game's like evolved to a whole level. Right? hmm How much time was on the clock when you got the ball in the corner? Six seconds?
1: Huh? It was like six seconds?
0: Okay. Let's think about this. All we need is one point, right? What well, if you was were drilled good. in condition that you could have the three, but you could attack the basket too? And in that situation, in you could have attacked the basket as well. All we need is one basket, right? I think it was two points, right? Okay, it's so a two-point second. But see, if we we're conditioned with Christian getting the ball to you even sooner, yeah. instead of dribble, dribble, dribble down the court, the ball, passing the ball, learn how to fast break without the dribble. Get you a high percentage look. You get a high percentage look, what's going to happen? So let's dial it back to... That play you had stepping out of bounds, they call it violation, and you hit that mid-range shot. It was nothing, but that it was pretty. If you don't step out, man, that's two points. We still win by two, if it played out the way it did, right? Yeah. What's a better shot?
2: The mid-range.
0: Right. If you approach your shot like that every time, you, you're you mid-range by shot? just, huh? Why a better shot? Higher percentage.
2: So the the question becomes, what is a good percentage? Fifty percent.
0: What's that? Fifty
2: percent a good percentage.
0: fifty um, percent is a pretty good percentage,
2: right? Mm-hmm. So, and this is not to say him, but if you're a Steph Curry, if you're a him, you say, well, I shoot forty five percent
0: from two.
2: So, that's a good shot.
0: Yeah, but yeah. if you For if Steph you're Curry, Steph if you're Steph Curry, and you can shoot what?
2: You probably shoot like high 40s. Okay, good. Right.
0: So, but if close. he shot if he shot the mid range shot, what's his percentage? Tired, probably 60s with Steph. Mid range, come on, man, that's a layup for him.
2: You might say that a is a layup
0: for him. It's a layup for him. I mean, it's like it's like he could get that shot blindfolded. Let, let me get down one back. By,
2: by the way, well, I'm not. I, there's only there's only one step. So yeah. not but every there's Michael only one you. Michael. There's only one Michael Jordan. No, no. What I'm saying is that statue and a three, right? And me and me saying. That's a really good shot for him. That's not to say that everyone that shoots a three is a good shot. For Steph, particularly that guy, a three is a mid-range jumper for him. He's that good.
0: But think about if he was a shot selection and he took more intermediate shots, which is which still is going to be a lot
2: higher. Well, I also think that... Um, uh, Golden State does a great job of getting him open. He doesn't only shoot threes. Shoot threes make the highlights, but he gets the basket. He shoots the mid-range. He does a lot of different things. Threes get the highlight on ESPN, but that offense is meant for him to, like, come on screens and this, to that.
0: But see, that's why he's a better offensive scorer in buckets than Kyrie, because Kyrie's got to have the ball in his hand. Absolutely. And so, just like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's got to have it. See, Kevin Durant is one of the most phenomenal players ever. But what was he lazy at? Where's he? Where's he lazy at? Kevin Durant, and I'm not saying lazy. Where? Where does he lose focus at? Defensive, defensive end of the court. And then also offensively, he settles. But when he's dialed in, he's one of the most proficient players now. And if he really wanted to, like, no business losing against Boston. I I say
2: the last thing. I know we're running out of time. Kyrie and Curry are a good comparison because uh, same size, same over. Uh Kevin Durant's a walk mismatch. Like there's nobody that can guard him. And he doesn't know how to play off the ball. So it's a one-on-one every time he does. You
0: yeah, took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, said, I agree with you a thousand percent. He doesn't know how to play. He doesn't know how to move. He doesn't know how to get himself over. He's got to have the ball. So you got two ball stoppers. Steph will, I mean, and, 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 and if you think it's really a most genius level because Steph has to run it that way because if he has the ball, he's getting knocked off the block because of the size.
2: I would leave that this, Coach, at like the last one. Uh, as good as Steph is and as good as Kyrie is, Kyrie is so skilled that no one's going to contain him. However, Michael Jordan, 1998, averaged 32 points a game. Average time that he had the ball in his hand was four minutes a game. That is a mark of efficiency. Like, I don't have to have it, I don't have to have it dribbled five, ten 10 times to get a shot off. Michael Jordan was like, he needed to come off screen, he needed to like catch and go. He didn't have all these five different moves. He had one in one count. But like he, I don't read that.
0: But was he a man scientist? Yes. He, he was, was a man scientist. But not only that, with, with what you shared and from that analytical data stat, like four minutes efficiency, well, what do you do off of all that? Is that why maybe he made first-team all-defense? Is that why he was one of the best-ever defender on the ball in the history of the game? Is that why he can rebound like he did? Is that why he can, like, had a motor? But you know what? He he got ran through the, the grinder and, and and the vice going against Detroit. So
2: I will end with this. This is the last thing I'm say. Okay. Jordan versus Kyrie. We see the skill of Kyrie because he handled the ball so well. But I would say that Jordan was even more skilled because he did not eat the ball that much to score more points than Kyrie.
0: Yeah. I, I, I'll agree with you a thousand percent. All
2: right. Perfect. What do we got now? So, so, huh?
1: yeah. so what, are, what are three skills a player needs to have, do you think? What are three skills? Yeah, that you think a player
0: needs to have. Okay, it's a rhetorical question because now I'm becoming Uh the envier and you're the envier, and I'm going to ask you the same question, Uh okay? So I want you to use your basketball IQ. I'm a coach, but I need Manny Sauce, Shake and Bake, three-point record-breaking scorer in Mott's history, as a junior being a coach on the floor, so you're extension of Coach Rock. What do you think Coach Rocky Moore would share with you? What are the top three skills a player would need? After you played for me and me on Coach Earl's staff, let's get clarification. Adam, Mott, from your experience, what do you think you've learned from me and what I teach you those skills most important? Uh I think you need to know how to move off the ball.
1: And you need to have court awareness, like where you're on the court. And that's two, right? And the third one is a jump shot. Okay, you're close. Say it again. What are the three again? Uh, moving off the ball, core awareness, and a jump shot. Absolutely.
0: Number one, if you understand the importance of learning how to move off the ball, like perpetual motion, uh-huh. you got about 80%, 90% area that you could really improve on just moving off the ball because you like to stick it. You like stick Stick, and people find you. If you learn how, but then again, we gotta have an offense where you got staggered screen, screen, single, double screens. Which we do at Belmont Shores and everything. And we get we get looks. And I don't have half the shooters that like you. If I had a shooter like you, we're winning. We're winning championships. We're playing Utah. If I have a shooter like you, we're winning championships in Las Vegas. I'm on Belmont Shores, but that's that's a story for another day. But. I don't even have anybody close as you'd like to. And the second one, the, the first one, if you understand what they give you and take what they give you, put your perpetual motion. Google Steve Alford, watch him. Rip Hamilton, Larry Bird. All the great players that understand how to read and react, mm-hmm. they'll dissect you. Oh, are you going to give me this? Then I'm come out of time, I said, I'm going to come off that double pick, you know, when you pick up on me, I'm still going to nail it. I'm still knocking it down on you. i like, really? It's pretty arrogant. No, but, but I got to work hard to come off that to get open. What was your second one? Court winner.. Okay. How many times did you step on the sideline? How many times you got called stepping on the sideline? I think, I think a couple of times. Like almost a handful of times? Yeah. Right? Well, that's a handful of times. Let's say it's five times. It doesn't matter. What matters is that five times you don't even get a shot on goal. And the awareness, the awareness on the court is like in the flow of the game. Not even offensive, but defensively, get a feel. When, I, when we taught and put you in ball line defensively uh-huh. and you learn how to block out and screen and go get the rebound, go get the rebound, right? Did you most of the time come up with the rebound? I don't think so. Huh? I don't think, when I went for the rebound? When you went for the rebound. Oh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. That was because awareness. Your awareness of the ball line, your awareness where the shot was taken from, your awareness where the ball direction after it hits the rim, where it's coming, to come off Is that awareness? Yeah. Okay. Did how many times were you in ball line when the ball was reversed and it was deflected and you were in proper ball line, but you had awareness where the ball was going to come to? How many times did it fall in your lap? A couple. A few times. Because you're playing proper ball line defense. Is that awareness? Yeah. You've seen the ball ball, you man, right? You got the ball. You didn't know what to do after from top of the key, top of the key, what to do with it because you weren't conditioned. You weren't trained. You weren't taught. How many more points you would have scored if you were taught how to take it? Boom. You could have came down like that. Boom, fast break, one-on-one, stop, pop. Oh, do a hezzy, boom. Let them close out on you, go around and score. Do you know how to do that? No. You didn't have that skill. You have one of the two skills. Could you really come down, stop and pop off the dribble and shoot the three? No, you're, you're catch, shoot, knock it down. rhythm. You got to be able to catch, shoot, which that's your bread and butter. But that was your strength. Yeah. You got better defensively because your confidence grew because of your awareness. How much better were you defensively? And I'll give you a better example. How about when you set your butt down on a toilet seat and you did this when you were little in IBA, you already did it, so you had muscle memory. All I had to do is like, get you back to the muscle memory when you were with your dad in IBA and Coach Q, Q right? Uh-huh. So when you're sitting down the ball line what have you, down the end the stretch of the game, did they go around your shoulder? No. Did they get by you? Because you didn't want to hear from me on the bench, did you? Mm-hmm. And when you put your nose to the grindstone, got in a defensive stance and stuck your chest, my right shoulder, your right shoulder, my left shoulder, your left, and you were two or three times, I saw the guy try to go baseline. tonight. You took him all the way out of the baseline. You took him baseline. He ain't going nowhere, were you? Matter of fact, you might have got an easy charging foul a couple of times because you're in the right place, right time. You did it right. But where would that come from? Your energy, your desire, your determination. Right? Okay? Yep. So when you did those things, Manny, your confidence like went off the roof because now you're becoming a complete player. You're rebounding. You're stopping ball, on-ball defense. Knocking shots down. What if you keep growing in all the other areas? Like fast break, get it. You get the rebound, go. Dribble out. Take it to the rack. Has do a crossover? Do a Ginobili. Do a Euro? Do a floater. Do a stop. Like coming down, I'm looking at you. Stick it in your face. And talk about it. And then drop back. Right? Okay? Mm-hmm. And then when you do the right things, then they celebrate, then they get excited. Yeah. Huh? So, what was the third one? third one was a jump shot.
1: Okay. I have a lot of those skills that you just mentioned. Uh, how do I get my coaches
0: trust? How do you gain the trust from your coach? Yeah. By being disciplined. Being disciplined. Executing. Hitting the game winner at Dana Hills. Execute the play, like, defensively. And kind up and loose ball. You didn't have a problem jumping on the ball after a loose ball on the floor, did you? Yeah, what? Did you jump on the floor after loose ball?
1: I think I did a couple of times.
0: Okay. Did you take a charge? No.
1: Oh, I, I tried it, but I got it.
0: But that's not good enough. See, there's a, board, there's a fine line there. This is how you gain your coach's trust.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I tried. Well, you didn't get to it. You didn't do it. Why am I going to give you trust if you can't execute that? You got to. Keep, you earn trust by executing all phases of the game of basketball, and you gain trust by illustrating your confidence that I belong out here, and there's nobody on the floor better than me. You know, like Christian. You got to. Say when I said, "Oh, child, what's my the sophomore, or sophomore Mark. Marco, right? He's one of the best ball and ball defender players that we had in the program." Christian took that he is. He proved it time and time out. So in those areas, you have to become superior than everybody else. And that's how you get to trust. Well, you got yeah, you got my trust. I mean, you can shoot the three. But I gotta put you in position. I have to work harder to get you in position to knock that three down. You can earn my trust by working harder off the ball and getting to those threes and making it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like defensively, just rebounding, being one of the best rebounding defensive guards. Can you do that? Yeah. How hard is it to get two rebounds a quarter? hard. Uh-huh. But it's challenging. Did you average eight rebounds a game this year? No. But you just told me it was not that hard. You do those things, you get in the trenches, you do a little, you focus in the moment and you pay attention to detail and you execute and you achieve. That's how you gain the trust of the coach. Right? Yeah. Because see, I know this. And I use Dana Hills as a reference point, right? If we had even more time, <laughs> Chris is coming down, there's only one defender. Two defenders? I'd have to see it.
2: Two
0: and one back. Huh? There was two? There was and he one. drove he drove by one. He, he was in the middle of one. Okay, he was in the middle of one, right? Yeah, middle of both. All right. But how many times they stopped us going to the basket? When we had to pedal to the metal and throttle full and going down, how many times they stopped us going to the basket? There was a there where we scored almost every time going we downhill, didn't it? Right? Let's look at the video. Let, we can look at the video, and we can count countless times and take analytical st- data statistics and calculate and keep score, right? I mean, you can replay the game over and over again, but the, it goes back to that second question, the yeah, awareness. You've got to have awareness on that court. That separates teams, like my awareness even as a coach, put my team in a win-win position to win the state championship. My players like read and recognize. So I hope I, you know, mm-hmm. answer that question for you, so.
1: So the last question is, how can a parent best support their Hooper's journey?
0: Staying in a parent role. Staying in a parent role. Give their child unwavering support and loyalty and lift them up. Mm-hmm. And stay out of the way of the coach's decision. Good, bad, or other. Because in life... You get challenges. You're not going to get, everything's not going to work out the way you want it. So those are challenges. You learn life skills, how to overcome challenges and hardship and what have you. You know? Yeah. And you got to be a parent that, you know, my parents didn't understand me. They just knew that it was a great opportunity for me to have a quality life. And they respected coaches. I mean, they were, Heroes and role models and stellars in my life. So I had parents that supported me, whatever I wanted to do. We need more parents involved with the child in their development at home environment. And parents understand that, you know what? Not everybody's going to get to start, everybody's going to get to play in time. But if you put the work in and you invest in the work, they're going to earn that playing time. I'll give you a great example of three sets of parents I know at Mott, that I know and I have relationships. Your parents, Sean's parents, Finn Finn's parents. They support you in the way parents should support you from my perspective and my personal opinion. Because all they want is the best interest of their son's development on all phases. Academically, athletically, character. And taking a young boy growing into a fine young man. That's what I know about three sets of parents from my year past experience being an associate coach Mm -hmm. with Erdo at a mom. Bringing my knowledge and experience. So, I gravitate to those pla I mean another few younger ones would have you because their parents just gave them that support, and I think parents that they understand all the responsibility that goes along with being a coach and deal with multiple personalities what have you um. Then they'd understand the importance of parenting role and stay in their boundaries. And you know what? Think about this. If parent, if they really want to coach, then go get your degree, go get your earn your certification, earn whatever it is to put you in that position. And that's what's one of the biggest glaring weaknesses or problems that we with AU basketball, parents who think they're coaches, that have not worked with their craft. And not only that, teaching the game, but also what about the psychology of the game? What about the mental preparation? The emotional, I mean, it's, you know, have they gone to school for that? I did. I got my education, my background, and prep me for that. Like a, a doctor doing an intern and doing a medical internship. You know, mm-hmm. knowledge is power, but I got to know how to implement. I did share and execute it. So parents got a vital responsibility, a big-time role in the development of their child. But it's really important for them to, you know. And then again, I have a strong opinion about it because I've seen parents get in, in a way or interfere with their child and impede their overall progress and development. I'll give you an example. When I had Quincy Stinson as a student athlete at Muir High School, his mom was a wonderful man. She said, "Just bring my child back home safe and sound, and be a father for you as a coach." And that's what I did. I kept my word, but she kept hers. Yeah. So. All right. Um, so that's a
1: wrap on this podcast. Thank you, Coach Rock.
0: You're welcome. Sauce Mayor. Thank
1: you. You're Enjoy. welcome your life experiences and
0: your opinions. And- I hope I didn't go winded. It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. Did a great job, son. Thank you, Coach. Uh-huh. Now let's Take go you. win a few more games. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the BHB Trilogy Podcast. The Beast. Hot sauce and Bucket. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit bhbtrilogy.com. We'll catch you next time.